The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. The, the first I heard on the radio this week, and there was a guy that was, he was writing a book, it was a memoir, and, and the interviewer was asking him about it. He came from a pretty rough background, uh, came from places of extreme poverty. And he was talking about it and saying, you know, people need to know some of these stories. We think we live in a world that is, that is sanitized. We live in a world where everybody's the same. And so you can have a room like, like this and everyone seems like they, they have it together. And yet the, the reality is often, is often different. We come from lots of different places and some of us have overcome some huge obstacles to be here. And he begins to talk about, he was talking a little bit more about what it was like to grow up in this place of, of total poverty. And he said, you know, you get this ambition. You get this ambition and it, it, it'll drive you to just to, to run anyone over because you just want to get out of there so bad. There's an ambition that, that seemed to, to, to turn against uh, others around. And we understand that. We, under, we have a, a sense probably of what that's like. We just got to get out of here. Uh, and yet that ambition can be one that can motivate us, but ultimately perhaps maybe leads to a place that uh, person to be a person we don't want to be. Well, if you were here on Easter Sunday, you would have gotten to heard a different story. It's the story of Greg Williams. He's, a, he's the elder uh, for University Ministries and an elder uh, for this ministry. He has an amazing story. He, he didn't grow up in the best of circumstances either. There was, his dad wasn't particularly around uh, all the time, and yet he had a, this wonderful grandmother that began to, to, to tell him a little bit about who God is. And, and he had some real tragedies. He lost a sister uh, when he was younger uh, to a tragic accident. And, and he didn't really have a family that was particularly, uh, they didn't particularly value education necessarily, but there was this moment where he was realizing, there's, I, I have really tough circumstances, but what I'm going to do, I, I want to be, I'm going to seek out an education. I'm going to do everything I can. To, to, to grow and to get a good education. And he tell the best part of his story, and I'm sorry he's not telling it himself here, uh, the best part of his story is when his mom shows up uh, to school with him for his graduation, uh, only to find out he's valedictorian of his class. Kid in not the best part of town, not necessarily having a, a, a real consistent father figure there, and yet... Uh, amazing things happen. She finds out that he's been accepted to a school, this, uh, some school up north named Harvard or something like that. Well, the wonderful thing about Greg is that Greg is a man who has had a, a tremendous impact here in, in this community, and he has led into the, he's been led into these places of, of great sort of what we could say worldly success, and yet there's so much more to Greg. He's poured his life in, into the lives uh, of a lot of college guys over the years. He is. He has helped to discern the, the direction of the church and university ministries here. And, and, and very different story of ambition. Right, we talked about last week, <clears throat> we're looking at the, the series called Ambition. Because it's something that is basic to all of us. Right? We I talked a little bit about Noah last week. How there's a sense that he, he can't just run. He's got to win. Right? No matter where he goes. I won! I want to be the best at something. I wanna, we all have that from the, from the, the time that we begin to have a, a sense of who we are at all. We, we want to become something. We want to do something significant. We want to achieve something, acquire things. It, 
it's something that's part of all of us, and yet we can know that it can go into directions in which can cause great damage or can cause uh, great good in the world. And the hope, though, for us is that, that we would have an ambition that is guided in such a way that we don't necessarily achieve tons at the end of our life, but we would be able to say, I have run the race that God has set before me. With everything I have, no, no regrets. It wasn't perfect, but no regrets. I've run the race that's set before me. Instead of saying, man, I've achieved like the right of Ecclesiastes. I, I've achieved more than anybody. I have more money. I've built more. I've done more. For Solomon, he goes, man, i got a harem. I have more women than anyone could possibly imagine. Yet at the end of my life, I look around and I go, meaningless. He was a chasing after the wind. Well, Paul provides a guide for us, and that's what we talked about last week. He provides this great guide for us that, that sort of sets our vision high, and then we're, we're going we're gonna to fill it in as we go throughout this series. And he said, listen, here's the one thing that I have learned because I have made some serious mistakes in my life, but here's the one thing I learned, that if I'm going to have an ambition, it is not going to be to acquire sort of titles and all this kind of stuff that people might think of. That looks successful because that's a confidence in the flesh that will lead you astray. Man, you want to play a game about who, who's got a better pedigree, who's got a better education, who's got a better background? I will beat you all any day. And yet I look back at that stuff and I go, meaningless. Pile of garbage. But here's what I've discovered. The one thing in which I can truly be ambitious for, that I'm seeking with everything I have, is to know Christ, to somehow gain Christ, to be found in Him, to not have a righteousness of my own, but one that is found in Christ. And what he says is, listen, I, I, I want to know Christ in such a way, I want Him to be my singular focus, and everything else is going gonna, is gonna to come out of that. I want to know a power that is not my power, that doesn't have to do with whether I feel great at the moment or not great at the moment, because it's not about me. I want to know a power that goes way beyond me. Listen, I, I, I want to know a righteousness, a, a right standing with myself and with other people that doesn't have anything to do with how technical I am, how legalistic I am, but one that simply comes from the grace that is poured out on me in Christ. And here's the thing. I, don't, I, I want to know the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. We talked a little bit about that. I want an ambition that is driven by the sense of, uh, of, uh, of running at suffering. I'm not looking for it. I'm not seeking it out. But I don't run from it. I, I want an ambition that is not going to do all it can to, to somehow avoid any kind of difficulty. No, I want to run right at it because... If I can join Christ in that, I, I can be a part of transformation. Right? It's a great model for us. It, it's an ambition whose impact uh, has unbelievable um, repercussions. We talked about Paul. The, the great thing about Paul is he had this sense where he's going, man, he is in prison. And he's got one of the worst emperors over him, and yet he's sitting in the prison of this guy, and he's writing with joy and going, man, it's good, I'm good, I'm good, we're fine. Hey, by the way, just want to say hi to everybody. Uh, yeah, a bunch of people in Caesar's household, the nut job, I know he's a nut. I want you to hang in there, though. It's cool, they want to say hi, because guess what, they're followers of Jesus now, too. I mean, that's an ambition that is not thwarted by whether things are up or down, whether things are going great or not. It's an ambition that has impact. Well, as we go through, I want to I invite you, I want to challenge you. A lot of, some of you have, have brought friends here. Some of you have just showed up for the first time, and I'm glad you're here. 
uh, I want to think about who it is in your circle that you would want to invite into this, that, that could benefit from this, that, that could be challenged by this, that could be encouraged in this, in the places in which they feel like, man, they're struggling. Whether it's a coworker or someone you live with, invite them into the next couple of weeks. Dave is going to be talking about how to develop vision next week. Um, and then uh, looking at things like Sabbath on the weeks after. It'll be great stuff um, for all of us, and certainly for those that are in our lives. Well, here's the deal. If we're going to follow this journey, and it is a journey, there are going to be those moments where we're going to have to make decisions about paths, right? We're going to have to make decisions about whether we're going to go right or whether we're going to go left. We're going to have to make decisions that will guide our ambition either into places of fruitfulness, places of real growth and maturity, places that have great impact for good, or we'll make decisions that will lead us into places of but we've got to go this is chasing after the winds. Perhaps even into places that we cause damage to ourselves, maybe, God forbid, damage to others. De- decisions. We have to make decisions. That's what we want to look at tonight. Now, I'm not talking about decisions like, what should I eat for breakfast, right? We just got to make this real clear. We get this, but it's not the decisions of, should I have life or Cheerios? What does God want for my life? Right? Well, choose life. Okay? Just go for it. We're not talking about those kinds of decisions. We're talking about those... You've, we have lots of freedom. God has given you a brain. Use it. Go with things. Go, there are desires like that. Just go for it. Do you like blue? you like green? God doesn't care. Just like blue. If you like blue. Obviously, I like blue. A little too much blue. Maybe today. But here's the thing. There are those moments where it, it's, it comes down where it's not so clean cut. And we're not talking about things like, should I rob a bank? Should I not rob a bank? Okay? You don't need to think about that. You don't need to ask God for it. You just don't rob a bank. Right? It's these things where there are these gray areas. It's, it's these things where there's a multiple probably good answers. It, it, could, it could go either, either way. It, but it's places which can begin to lead us down uh, very different paths. It, it's where we begin to say, okay, what are the voices? And, and what I mean by voices is not kind of the creepy, I see dead people. Do you see them too? It's that voice, it's those influences that say, here's what's valuable, here's what's not valuable. Here's what success looks like, here's what success doesn't look like. Here's where you're going to have great influence, and here's where you're, man, here's where people are just going to throw you aside. What are the voices? How do we discern which one to follow? Well, let me tell you about Saul, okay? If you have your Bibles, you can pop it open. We're going to be hanging out in Philippians. You can put your finger there if you want. We're also going to be talking, uh, I just want to tell you about Saul real quick. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Now Saul, he was recently crowned king. Okay, this is right before we looked at a series through the life of David in the fall. This is, the, this is before David. Saul has been crowned king. He, he's there. He's been called out. You're to defend the people. You're, you're the guy in charge now. And everyone affirms it for him. And here's, he gets started and his son does really what he's called to do, which is he attacks the Philistines which is a, a, a neighboring group of people that they're absolutely at war with. They get beat up by the Philistines all the time. His job as king is to defend the nation. Well, his son attacks the Philistines, and suddenly then he kind of says, listen, okay, let's rally. I want everyone to rally towards me. Everybody, come on, we're, we're going we're gonna to go after him. We're going to get after him. And, and people start to come. Yeah, they kind of come, come in a little bit of time. But, but there's also another rallying, and that's the Philistines. And if you've seen Lord of the Rings, you, those battle scenes, right, where you look out and it's just nothing but ugliness, right? That's that sense. They look out, and there's, 
more soldiers than the sand on the seashore is how they describe it. There's just, it, it is unbelievable. The odds look overwhelming. And suddenly, this kind of, this bold character is saying, ah, I don't know. And in fact, all the soldiers are beginning to go, ah, I don't know. We read that they quake with fear. Some of them start to, to run, to, to switch sides, to, to go and to hide in, in caves. Saul looks around, he sees that people are, his army is quaking with fear. And he was instructed to wait for seven days. And then Samuel, who is his kind of pastor prophet, he says, wait seven days and I, and I will be here. He's supposed to wait. But he looks around and he goes, I've got to do something. Man, people are bailing. This thing is going to get ugly really quick. And so he says, listen, I've got to do this. I've got to do this offering. If I do this offering, God's going to bless this and we'll be okay. Can I, what, what does God want in this? i just got to do this offering. Samuel's not here. He's supposed to do it. I told, he told me I was supposed to wait, but I'm just going to go for it. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel walks up. And Saul goes out to him. And instead of saying, hey, listen, hey, Saul, way to kind of take things into your own hands. Samuel looks at him and he goes, you have done a foolish thing. You have acted foolishly and you think that that was going to save you. Let me tell you something. This kingdom is going to get taken from you. We look and we go, well, this makes sense. And yet somehow in this seemingly innocuous decision, we read that there is there's a sense of foolishness. See, I, Here's the thing around discernment. I, I know that we have, a, we have difficulty with it. I mean, we hear stuff all the time. And on one hand, you know, you kind of get like Saul maybe. You know, we kind of we do the Hail Mary. Like, holy smokes, this thing is going south. It's going bad. I need God to tell me how to get out of it and get out of it quick or bless me or do something like that. And so when it comes to discernment, it's kind of that Hail Mary, that last minute thing. I hope God does something. And, that, and fortunately, Saul is, does this throughout his whole life. God comes at the very end of things and only to somehow get, get me out of this or, or tell me how to get out of this. On the other hand, you know, we also get awry because there are some times where we have the sense of, well, you know what, I'm just going to go and do whatever I'm going to do and, and kind of not be, and try to not be dumb and God will either close doors, open doors. And, you know, he'll, uh, if I'm going to run into a, the street and get run over by a bus, hopefully he'll stop me, that kind of stuff, Right? Well, it could make sense, and you probably could, if you're not an idiot, you probably will get along in life. And yet there's a sense where you go, well, God really isn't in this. And what you're really looking for is just kind of external factors. And it could be that you make all kinds of decisions that look really good within a particular culture or a particular company that you're in, but they might not be godly decisions. You could be in a culture, a business culture that is incredibly corrupt and look like you're doing really great. That doesn't mean necessarily that you're following God and the very best that he has for you. Uh, the other way we go is that sometimes we feel like, okay, wait, maybe I've, maybe I've made bad decisions. Maybe I just I really want to know what God wants to do. But what happens is I, I, I keep waiting for God to tell me exactly what to do. And, and we get paralyzed because I, I keep waiting... God, tell me exactly what to do. And behind that, perhaps, is a sense of, I don't want to fail. And if God will only tell me what's going on, then perhaps I can have assurance that everything is going to work out. It's going to be great. No suffering. Success. So we get paralyzed. So either we're kind of nonchalant about it, because this whole thing of discernment and understanding God's voice is so difficult. We either get nonchalant about it, and really there's no impact 
we really have no impact because there's no sense of relationship there. God is kind of a deist God out there. Or we clamp down and we get so nervous that we can't make a decision on our own. We fundamentally end up distrusting ourselves. This area gets abused, and I know that there's so much confusion around this. Because I know we also get really frustrated when someone comes up and says, hey, God told me this. God told me I'm supposed to do this. Or God told me that you are supposed to do this. Right? Do you love that? God's got a wonderful plan for your life. He revealed it to me. I'm going to share it with you, and you've got to do it. Right? Well, maybe that's good, but there's a sense of like, well, what? Maybe God didn't tell me that at all. You know, he didn't, he certainly, if he's speaking, he didn't speak to me. In fact, I, I think he's actually telling me the opposite. Thanks, but no thanks. And so I hope that tonight what we can do is begin to, to, to get rid of some of the confusion around it. Because what Paul does in the book of Philippians is he presents another way. Another way in which we affirm that God's spirit is active. It's not that God just kind of kind of wound things up, set them going, and said, hey, make your way the best you can. But that it affirms that God's spirit is active, but also affirms that we've been given freedom and a mind and a heart to make good decisions. It, it, it's a place where we can grow. It's a place where we bring things together that often want to separate. Our, us and God, and it's this place of conversation. It's at Philippians 1. Here's the goal. You can see it up on the screen behind or, or follow along with me. Here's, here's the goal. Paul, in his introduction to his letter, says this. This is my prayer for you. This is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Here's the deal of knowledge. I want you to be filled with knowledge. Knowledge and a, and a depth of insight, a, a discernment. And what essentially Paul is saying, listen, I, I want you to know, I want you to have this knowledge in which you get the heart of God. You get how God works. And that's what, that, behind that word knowledge it's really talking about kind of a knowledge of God and what God is about. I want you to have a knowledge and then I want you to be able to discern. Not that you're going to be able to, to be able to, to kind of tell the future and everything, but I want you to be able to see clearly. What I want you to be able to do is take the myriad of voices that are yelling at you about what you should do, everything from kind of advertising to, to your friends that may be giving good advice, to your mom who certainly has advice for you, to, to everything else. And now what I want you to be able to do is, is begin to focus in and discern where, where is God's call in this? Mike earlier talked about the sense of kind of this thing that captures him. There's lots of things that would like to capture our attention. Not all of those are from God. So Paul says, I want you to grow in a knowledge of what I'm about and how I work because I, I want you to have an insight, a, a sense of clarity. Not, not that everything's going to work out perfect, but a clarity of what is, where am I in all of this so that you can follow me. So that you can be able to choose... Not necessarily in this situation, uh, what, is, what is wrong, what, it, what is right, because it, there are a lot of decisions that are very clear. But I want you to be able to choose what is best or what is excellent. So often when it comes to discernment, the, the question for us is, is this, how do I choose what is best? There's lots of good options. There are lots of things that, that look like they could be fun. You look, like, you look at Saul, and man, Saul looked like he wasn't making a bad decision. But I want you to choose what is best. And, and for Saul, what is best is to wait for Samuel and to wait on God. To trust in him and to put his trust 
in God. So the result that Paul talks about is this. Is that I, the result is going to be this, is that you're going to be pure and blameless and filled with the fruit of righteousness. Pure, blameless, and filled with righteousness. He says, if you get this, if you can start to discern what, what, is, what is best from what is simply good, it's going to overflow in a sense of purity, in a sense of being right on the inside, in a sense of being right on the outside, and that your actions will be blameless, and you're going to be filled with the righteousness. And we talked about righteousness last week a little bit, right? Righteousness is not the self-righteousness that says, I'm okay and you're not, and I want to tell you all the ways that you're not. But righteousness is this sense of being right, kind of rightly related. It, it, it has, it's like the righteousness that Christ had. People want to, you want to be around a righteous person. Because there is grace and mercy, and yet there's truth. You can trust a righteous person. You don't have to wonder whether they're going to go sideways on you, sell you out. You want to be around a righteous person. That's, that's what's going to flow out of this. Now, Jesus talks about a purity of heart in Matthew 5. Okay, he said, blessed are the pure in heart. And these are the Beatitudes. On the right road are the pure in heart. And then I think what's going on is that he actually illustrates that in chapter 6. And he begins to say, he goes, listen, when you pray, when you fast, when you give. I, it's not a question about some of these uh, spiritual disciplines. I'm not, it's not a question on if you should, but when you do. Do it, do it with a singular focus in mind. When you pray, pray to your Father. Your Father is watching. When you fast, pray before your Father. Not so that other people can see, but so that your Father can see. And what he's saying is this. Listen, I want this purity that I'm talking about. It's not sort of this technical purity. I can never go wrong, but I want you to have a singularity of focus that is going to overflow into your life into an authenticity. The kind of authenticity that people can tell, a blamelessness. And so think about that. If you're supposed to be praying... If you're, if you're praying, if you're giving, if you're fasting, these are things that are supposed to be focused on God. But if your focus is somehow in some other place, in other words, I want people to see how pious I am. I want people to see how good I am, how generous I am. I want people to see, oh man, that guy's really suffering for the Lord. Just look at him. He's been fasting for 40 days. He's got nothing left on him. Boy, that guy is sure spiritual. Boy, that guy sure see man. He's got he's got the buttons all over the place. He's got the exact he's got the t-shirt. That guy sure is spiritual. Do you know what I'm saying? There's a sense of well, what's going on there is that you're divided. You're not pure, and so because of that, what comes out is man. You don't get the blessings that God promises in the midst of that. You got your blessings because people are giving are ooing and on over you. But here's the thing: the life that you're living is not one that is authentic. And it's not one that reeks of that righteousness that smells of life. So here's the thing. Discernment is not about coming up with a perfect decision, but it's about this conversation we have in which we're seeking wisdom, not to magically figure out what is the perfect thing to do, what is something that nobody will be able to argue with us on, but it's, it's a desire to grow in integrity and in authenticity. Gordon Smith, who writes on this subject, who I, we wrote him down as a, as a, a topic or as a book uh, in the first week. You can download it. You can find it in the back if you want. He says this about discernment. discernment does not, our discernment does not lead to absolute, infallible, irrefutable answers, but only to the insurance, the assurance that we are living and working in response, in response to God. 
that we are living in response to God. Now, that's not to say that, that somehow our decisions won't be good. No, but the issue is that we're not chasing after decisions that no one can argue with us on. And what I want to focus us to focus on tonight is that there's a lot of tools that we can use in making good decisions. We need to look at the circumstances. We need to use our head. We need to be rational. We need to get other people's insight into them. But we have to know where we're going. And where we're going, the very, the very, heart, the very heart of discernment is peace. At the very heart of discernment is peace. That's where we're going. That's where we're going to leverage everything. When we, when we look at Scripture, we're not coming up with the perfect somehow the, the perfect uh, decision. Because there will be decisions that we will make that people around us will think are crazy. Okay? And that could be a good thing or it can be a bad thing, right? But if, you are, if you're surrounded by a bunch of nut jobs and you make a rational decision, it'll look crazy. Right? So we're not trying to come up with a decision that somehow everyone's going to go, oh man, that's really, really wise. There'll be these times when it's not going to look quite right. What we're, what we're seeking at, what we're trying to leverage, all of these tools of discernment is that we would discover peace or what ancient writers call consolation. Okay? It's this kind of, it's, it's a joy, it's a contentment, it's a serenity. It's the sense that everything is all right, that there is a sense of well-being. Now, it's not that... It's not that everything is just happy slappy, but it's the sense that even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of tough and difficult situations, there's a sense of joy. There's a sense that this is the right thing. That when we find that peace, we find the God of peace. Because where where this peace is, this authentic, this true peace, that is where God is speaking. That is where His voice is. Is that. that is the voice that can lead us with a confidence to walk into the lion's den. To use a phrase out of the book of Daniel. To, to walk with a confidence into places of, of great danger that, that Paul can somehow sit in, in the bottom of a dungeon in the emperor's palace and be able to go, man, rejoice, it's cool. Because he has a sense that he's, he's listening to this voice. It's a, it's a voice that will lead us into integrity. But not necessarily one that's going to lead us into always getting the best deal. There, there's a story of a guy that talks about early on saying a, a commitment, this commitment to truth, and he sits around and, he, and part of this is a discernment on, on what is the right thing to do in a certain situation. He was sitting around a, a boardroom table. And, and unfortunately, there's a toxic environment uh, in here. And the CEO loved to be able to pit some of the executives against one another. And so what he would say is, if someone wants up there, he goes, you know, Joe... Joe did this thing, and, and it's, he did it purposely to undermine the company. And what he liked to do is it was, it was a control thing, but it was part of the culture. This guy couldn't stand, and, and what this guy did is he decided to go around and say, hey, listen, th- Susie, don't you think, man, don't you think Joe is really trying to get us? Don't you think he's really trying to undercut us? And everyone in that moment had to decide, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to go along with this, even though we know it's totally untrue, or am I going to stand up? But everyone caved around the, the table, and then it got to this... The guy who was telling the story, and he simply, at this point, he had to think about, what am I going to do? I know this is patently untrue. I know this will probably get me into trouble. He tried to slough it off, but, but he couldn't get out of it. And finally, he said, you know what? Here's the thing. That's just not true. And I actually feel really uncomfortable with the fact that we are, we're selling someone out when they're not here and they can't defend themselves. 
It's that, it's that moment where he had been able to discern what is right in that moment. He was driven by something, but that simply besides whether he was going to be successful in that particular area. And he subsequently got let go. Well, here's the thing. If we're going to be discerning people, I want to challenge us with a couple of things. I want to have one challenge I want to throw out and four questions. And these are developed by uh, a writer uh, called St. Ignatius as he thought about discernment, I mean, about uh, 500 years ago. He was part of the Counter-Reformation, which was Martin Luther and Calvin that were tearing away at some of the abuses of the, of the Catholic Church. And the Counter-Reformation was, was within the Catholic Church saying, you know, there are some real things that are wrong. And Ignatius was a part of that, trying to bring back a, 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 right, a right focus. And he brings up, again... Four questions for us to, to seek out what is really true and one commitment for us. And the first is this, that we make no decisions in desolation. Now, what is desolation? Desolation is anything that has to do with anger, depression, discouragement, inner turmoil, discomfort, a sense of dis-ease in our, in our spirit, anxiety, fear, condemnation, guilt, or dryness in your walk. We make no decisions. This is probably the most important thing is we seek to, to decide which are the paths that are going to lead us to life, which are the ones that are going, to, are going to lead us down a wrong path. We make no decisions the point of desolation. Because here's the thing. It, there might be something that you need to learn in there. And oftentimes we make decisions when things are not going well just to hop out of a, a particular situation. And yet we might need to learn something in there. That there might be something that we need to discover about ourselves that God wants to work His redeeming power in our lives if we can only hang in there. The other thing is, it's a great way to, to, to get out of some of the, the growth areas that we might have. Maybe you know of people like this. I just was hearing about someone that was like this the other day, and I have real sympathies for this because I know that it's difficult. This person is one of those folks that constantly is changing jobs, constantly is hopping churches, constantly is moving from one thing to another, talking about, man, let me tell you, that place is horrible. God doesn't want me here. I've got to go someplace else. Those people are bad. They're, they're, not, they're ungracious. And so they go from one thing to another, one church to another, to another, to another, to another, to another, to another. And after a while, you've got to start to wonder if every job is bad. There's something wrong with it. If every church... There's something that's really wrong with that. Maybe there's something that's actually wrong with you. Right? I mean, that's the brutal truth. And I get, we want to get out of situation. I don't want to stay in a bad situation. I don't want to stay in a bad situation at all. And yet sometimes what we do is we say, well, let me tell you, God's telling me I've got to leave this place because, man, it's difficult and that... There's that lady I don't like in the church and that person I don't like in the church. And, and we end up hopping from thing to thing to thing to thing and we miss the, the, the very moment of redemption that God wants to be able to work in our lives. And the caveat on, on this, that, that Dave will always challenge me on it and I appreciate this, is that this, what I am not saying here is that this is, this is a challenge for you to stay in an abusive relationship or an abusive situation. That is not what is going on here. And a good discernment process will lead you, and, and if you're talking with this with people, they will lead you out to be able to say, listen, you've got to get out of that situation because it is toxic and it is not right. But here's the problem. It, it has to go. Desolation is, is this place where we're listening to the wrong kinds of voices. You take Saul. 
Right? Saul is in this place and he is in a panic and he is listening to, man, things are, gonna, things are going south and it's nothing but fear that is driving him. If we just think about our brains and how we work, you know that when you're stressed and when you're anxious and when you're fearful and when you feel under attack and, and when you prudentially feel like, man, you're just living this life in which you feel condemned and there's nothing that is okay about you, you're not going to make a good decision flat out. Right? So wait. Wait it out. Don't jump ship because the, the, the decision you're going to make in that moment probably isn't a good one. You're not thinking rationally. You're not taking into consideration everything you need to do. And so Saul makes a quick to snap decision and ends up in the moment seeming to solve things, but actually undone, undoes him later. I just watched the Bourne Ultimate. Anyone seen that whole series, right? Bourne Ultimate, Jason Bourne, right? Super Spies, Assassin amnesia, government after him, you know, typical. He's going after him. Well, it turns out there's a reporter that there's a reporter that finds out about this conspiracy, right? So he's seeking down Jason Bourne. Well, well, he finally finds him. And, and now there's, you know, some sort of government agency, the CIA, I think, is after him, trying to kill him at that point, right? And they're, and they're running. And this guy now realizes he thought he had the story of a lifetime, but suddenly this is a lot more than he can handle. And it, there are guys that are shooting at him. He's trying to get out, and he starts panicking. He starts flooding, and, and they're about to decide whether they should kind of run out into a train station. And, and Bourne is like saying, "Wait, you gotta wait. You gotta wait. You gotta wait," because he knows you can't just run out there. You're in trouble. This guy's no. I gotta go. We gotta go. We gotta get out of here. We gotta get out of here. I gotta get out of here. And of course, he runs out, and immediately runs out. Right? He gets shot. Boom. He's that guy. <laughs> right? That you know that guy in the movies. There's always the guy that gets fidgety, right? When things get a little bit hairy, and you're like, that guy's dead. <laughs> that guy's dead. Right? He's the guy that ends up going, whoa, something's going on, something's going on, and he runs in front of a bus, and you're like, dude, I knew it. Come on. <laughs> Hold on. Well, that's what happens when we make decisions in desolation. Don't be that guy. Okay? Questions. These are questions as we test the sense of peace. Four questions. We need to go at this with a sense of humility. We, if we're honest with ourselves, we realize that, that we have a great capacity to... We, we might realize, okay, we're not in a place of desolation, but maybe this sense of joy and peace and serenity, we need to make sure, just, we can deceive ourselves. We need to make sure what, what's going on, on here. And this is, this is like 400-level stuff, right? This isn't entry-level stuff. This is 400-level stuff because this means we're trying now to decide between between two good things. And what we're really looking for is what is really going on in our hearts? See, there are people who have built religious empires and they look good, but really what it is, it's about them. And where we get off track is that we do good things for less than honorable reasons, less than honorable motives. And so what we need to do is look, ask honestly what is going on in us. Well, the first question is this. As we seek to test the peace that we have, as we seek to, to say, is this from God or is this, is this something else? Because oftentimes we're not tempted by things that are overtly bad, right? We don't often are tempted to go out and you know, club baby seals and kick dogs and stuff. I hope you're not anyways. Right? It's between, it's between things that seem to be good, seem to make sense. So the first thing is, does it violate scriptural ideals and mandates? I'm going to 
tag something on with this and then ask, does it ask us to walk away from the, some of the significant commitments that you have made? And this is where... This is where really what you need to... The issue is, do you know what Scripture says? Do you know what Scripture says? Do you know what, how Scripture leads us and why it leads us? We need to know our Bibles. That's why we want you to bring our Bibles. We want you to mark them up. You've got to know your Bibles. And for a lot of us, even if we've grown up in the church, we don't know our Bibles. We don't know what it says. And one of the exercises that we, we gave um, you in the back is this exercise called Lectio Divina, and you could do it with, with 1 Samuel 13 or with, or with Philippians, but it's a way of getting into Scripture and meditating on Scripture. What is, how does Scripture lead me? Because Here's the thing. Sometimes we might say, well, okay, if it's all about peace, if it's all about what I feel is good, well, you know what? I feel like, man, God is really asking me, you know, what feels really good is that I, I should leave my wife and kids. Man, I found this other person over there, and they are a lot nicer. I got a lot more joy out of this gal than I do out of this person. God is, you got to ask some real questions if you're starting to ask that. But the problem is that sometimes we think, well, you know, what I really need to do is I just need to go where the joy is. I just need to go where it seems like it, you know, I got a piece about it. My wife isn't so great, but I got a piece about it over here. I mean, things like divorce are, are difficult, difficult issues, and they never should be made simply because you go, well, that's kind of where the, the, the joy is. Or, or to say, have this sense of, like, I have this revelation. God's calling me to Africa. I got to go. I got to do it. And yet you kind of go, well, what about your wife and your kids? Do they think that's a good idea too? You have co- Some of us have significant commitments in our lives. We've got to be able to ask. We're, we're never called to walk away from those things, nor are we called to go against any sort of scriptural ideals. The second thing is this. Does this lead to growth or to comfort? And what I mean by this is this, is this peace, this sense of peace that I have, is this really about me taking the easy way out of something? Or is this about me choosing mediocrity? Or is this going to lead me to grow into the very best person that I can be? Talking about this with some folks, and, and there was a real honest, there was a real honest um, uh, reflection on this, that so often when we're thinking about how does God lead it, this person was saying, you know what, Honest, honestly, honestly, sometimes I don't really know if I want to fall because I know that God's going to call me into scary places. Things that are big, way bigger than me. And honestly, I, 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 man, I just don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can be that. I don't know. It's scary. And we have to ask ourselves, are we taking, are we taking kind of the low road on this thing? Are we, are we walking away from, from the big challenge? Or are we, are we settling for what is easy? And, and that's sort of this kind of pseudo piece, this fake piece that we feel because it's simply about us settling into what is easy. And, and here's the thing. We've got to have grace on ourselves in this because we're going to discover this as we go in. I, I know I have. I've totally taken the easy way out. I've totally taken the road of mediocrity. I, I've had those moments, and, and I've discovered that afterwards. I go, okay, that voice that I was listening to, that's not the voice of God, because that's the voice where I basically bowed out and took the easy way out. Third thing, does this lead to avoidance? And what this really is, this is a question about busy, busyness and activity. Is, is this, this sort of peace I feel, is this really about me finally having a sense of being able to avoid some things 
but by becoming really busy in other areas. And we've talked about busyness at different times here. This is one of the main things that faces us. I struggle with this all the time. How busy am I? Am I choosing the best things or am I choosing lots of really good things? Here's the thing. I, I, I can choose. I Actually, there was an article on this about how Americans are working more and more and more. And one of the things that's interesting is that they are. one of the reasons they get cited is it's easy for people to avoid stuff at home that they don't want to deal with if they can just stay at the office. Is this about me avoiding stuff by, by being busy? Is this about me, maybe the flip side of this, is this about me really feeling good? Because people look at me and they go, man, that person's really busy. They must be doing important things. And this is a big one for pastors. Right? Everyone thinks that pastors should be really, really busy and they should always be there for me all the time. Maybe you feel like this in your situations. It's a, it's a way for me to avoid, really, me putting my identity firmly in God. Lastly, this sense of, do you, is this a calling? Am I called to everything? I've been asked this by, by some of you before, and it's a great, great discerning question. We begin to grow in our faith, and we begin to say, hey, listen, is this, am I called to all this good stuff? I want to serve God. Am I called to do everything? The answer very clearly is no. You are called to do some things. Lastly, and I want to go through this stuff. This is where it gets even, even more kind of specific, though. You might have a moment of, of clarity, of peace, of joy that comes out of a worship service, of listening to a speaker, listening to some music, being inspired. And you, even in that, those moments, you need to start asking some really good questions about what is a... Ignatius talks about looking for the tail of the snake in the midst of this. Is there something in this that we need to be wary of? And so you need to ask the question of, of kind of where did this come out of? Were you in this place where you were really angry and frustrated and felt condemned? Is that where it started? When you were perhaps going into a place of prayer, was it because, were you praying out of, was it anything going on at all with you about frust- that had to do with frustration, anger, anxiety, fear? Because they can look something that looks really good, but you end up coming up with this thing that is, that is absolutely brutal because really what you're trying to do is get rid of a place of anxiety, a place of fear. And lastly, play it out. Where does it go? What's going to be the impact? You guys, this is tough stuff. I know it is because this is the place of real honesty and real work. It's a place where we're open and vulnerable between one another. But, but here's what can happen. This is how we grow into integrity and maturity. To a, to a purity that, that for the world, what they do is they go, man, that's just honest. That person is honest. They're true. They're authentic. The, the faith, I don't get the faith. I don't believe it. But, but it's, there's something that's authentic there. There's something that's true there. It's going to take you into places of difficulty. I guarantee it. But we want to go into those. If we want to be people of significance, we want to be able to go into those places of difficulty and not spend our lives running away from them. Let me tell you a story before we end here. I get One of the, the things that is a great joy for me is that I get to... Um, I'm beginning to, to officiate more and more weddings. And I get to do premarital counseling over the last couple of years, and that's been growing. The, the, one of the couples that came in uh, we're, in our last session, we were, we were talking a little bit about, 
you know, just some stuff in their lives. And, and I asked them if, they, if I could share this, and I'm not going to reveal who they are or anything like that. But one of the co- they were sharing with me this interaction that they had with a friend of theirs. And they're coming out of a situation which they have a, a lot of friends who are not Christians, a lot of friends who are not believers and don't even really get faith. And actually, you know, they, they, this couple struggles a little bit because a lot of their, their friends actually uh, think that, you know, Christianity is dumb, it doesn't make sense. It's all this kind of all the stuff that we hear sometimes. Um, and they were talking about this interaction where they had this friend that go, hey, so what kind of birth control are you using? Huh? What are you using? Just assuming, of course, you guys are dating. Of course you guys are sleeping together. Of course. Why wouldn't you? Seriously. They kind of sheepishly, they go, um, we're not, we're, we're not really, you know, kind of, uh, you know, we're not, we're not really doing anything. They go, what? Their friend, What? What are you talking about? What, well, we're not, we're, not actually, we're not actually sleeping together. We're, what? Why? Why in the world would you not be? What, what's your problem? Well, we, again, sheepishly, they're a sense of like, man, they didn't want to come off wrong or anything like that, but it's like, you know, we just, we haven't been perfect, actually, you know, but we, we decided that we wanted to kind of hold off and we wanted to, you know, we weren't doing this at the beginning, but we realized, man, if we're going to operate with a sense of integrity, with kind of how Scripture guides us, man, we're, we want to we want to save this thing for the context of marriage. We want to put it in the context where where God says it makes the most sense, where it's the most safest, where where it, it can happen in, in the very best way. I don't know if they went through all that, but they just kind of said, hey, here's the point of integrity. That's my insight. <laughs> Full disclosure. Let's be honest. At this point, they're just like. It just doesn't jive. Well, what happened is they expected just to get mocked up and down, and and uh, but what that happened for this person is that they they went home and they just started going, why in the world would they do that? What could possibly motivate them to make a decision like that? And they began to look into things, and they began to look into a to a God that has some things to say about sexuality that that might not jive with common wisdom around it. It might, it might seem weird, and yet, and yet perhaps it leads to, to places of greater fulfillment than, than what they know. And then they discovered that this God of grace and this God of gives direction, but His laws are not to, to, to come down on people, but somehow to lead people into places of life. And suddenly this person discovers Jesus Christ, and that Christ has called them uniquely. And so this person that was once not a not a not a Christian at all suddenly is launching in and giving their life fully to Christ and becoming a member of a church. And now this couple who is growing in their own right finds that their friend is now leading them in faith. Isn't that awesome? It's amazing. It doesn't happen this time. We might make all kinds of decisions. We might come out in ways and not which we're we're trying to prescribe for everybody, but we're saying, listen, th- this is what God has done in my life. and These are the decisions. And, and we might have people just go, man, you are flat out crazy. And you're an idiot. We've got to be ready for that. But at the same time, what we need to remember is that there are these times in which perhaps as God begins to work out this, this sense in our lives of, of purity and blamelessness and a righteousness that is infectious that begins to open up windows to a whole different reality than people even could understand. Or might know of. Let me just read this last passage over you. It's Philippians 4. He says this. Rejoice always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ 
Jesus. Be patient, you guys. Be bold. Seek peace. May the God of peace guide your ambition into places of impact and significance and authenticity. I ask the worship team to come up and I we're going to conclude we'll conclude our worship here. As they do, you just join me uh, in prayer. Lord, we want to um, take just a moment before we finish up and we head out into our busy weeks. And and take a breath. And ask for that peace that goes beyond understanding. Lord, we want to we want to test it because we want to be people of discernment. Lord, in this moment, we lift up all those things uh, that are drivers in our lives. fear and the anxiety, the sense of condemnation that we don't know where it comes from, but man, we just feel like just garbage. And we've been making decisions that come out of that. We've been making decisions that assuming that you've turned your back on us and that you actually don't want anything to do with us. fix our eyes on you and ask that you would by your grace slowly not give up on us as your word says that you won't but begin to work in us a maturity a sense where we can discern what you are about and make decisions accordingly Lord we want to hear what you have to say the situations we walk ourselves, we walk into that are surrounding us, the difficult places where we feel like um, we don't know what to do. We got a couple of good options, or we got a couple of bad options. We got to decide. Lord, lead us.